0: Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore.
1: <laughs> I'm standing before you a little bit differently tonight, and I am um, finding myself actually, um, I have some emotion around that. Actually, if that's okay. Did I mention this series been a hard one? I mentioned that this series has been kicking my butt. Um, I think it's almost literally going to handicap me here in some way. I have a recurring back problem that tends to flare up um, when it decides that it needs to flare up and for some reason it has taken this week, it decided that this week is the week to do it. So I've actually been flat on my back for the last four or five days. and I'll be spending most of the time tonight in that chair um, because if I spend too much time upright I will be spending another four or five days flat on my back. But I am finding myself a little embarrassed to be standing here in front of you. And I have two things going on inside of my head right now. One is if my self-esteem isn't wrapped up in how I appear and how I look and what I do, then it should be okay to stand before you this way, okay? That's the cognitive, rational stuff, and then there's still all those feelings inside which say, and yet I'd still like to, you know, not have to have a cane and be able to move and to, you know, feel more competent. So it's this battle, and I think, again, it's the battle that we face as human beings every day when we are forced to look at our weaknesses and our struggles and our frailties and our failings and our mistakes and our sin and all that stuff. We are broken creatures, right? And I know that this is a safe place. Like Ben said, he's he is finding refuge, a, a place where he continued to Grow and and change. And as a guest speaker and someone who gets to be here in front of you guys, I am changed by being in your presence. And if we can struggle along through this together, I will make a conscious choice to let you see me hobbling. Um, If you will wrestle with that, And when you are in those days and evenings and moments when you are feeling that as well, still come, still show up, still be seen. Sound okay? There's a good chance we might cut tonight short (laughs) Um, because I'm in a significant amount of pain and... But what we have to talk about is very, very good. And so I didn't want to miss it tonight. So I am glad to be here, truly. I am very glad to be here. I think we've got all the technology working. I think we've got everything ready to go. I think we can get started. Does that sound all right?
0: It's
1: my pleasure. If you've been here any of the weeks before, you know how this starts off. So if you want to empty your laps, Take a deep breath, close your eyes. You get a chance to practice being present. You get a chance to be here in the room. You know a little bit of what I am carrying. I don't know what you are carrying. But whatever it is, You can take a few minutes and be relieved of that burden tonight. You can leave it at the door and be fully present here. I'd like you just to listen to the sounds, feel the temperature on your skin. Be here as present as you can be. If your mind is distracted, if it's thinking about other things, you have permission to again put those things on hold for the next hour and a half. Let your body physically relax. Muscles in your shoulders, your stomach, your back, especially your back, your face your mouth, your cheeks, your forehead, all of those major muscle groups. Let's let them get as released and relaxed as much as possible. Feel yourself become a little heavier in the chair. See if you can move into a state of openness. Consider the idea that you might actually be able to be different. That who you are, who you have been, can change. And you can become a very different person. Simply breathe right now. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, three or four deep, deep breaths. Every time you exhale, let your body deflate like a balloon just a little bit more. I'd like you to listen to what God might want to or need to say to you tonight. then what would you like to say back to him? What would you want to express to him? Take a couple more deep breaths. Let your body stay in the posture it is. The only thing that I'd like you to move right now is your eyelids. When you're ready, just simply open your eyes. You don't need to look at anything in particular. Just let your eyes open and let your body stay in that exact same posture still. Just let your eyes open. And then when you're ready, wiggle your toes a little bit, wiggle your hands. Start to kind of wake up your body Tighten your legs and stretch them, stretch your arms, stretch your shoulders, kind of move around, wake up. Yep, there you go. And then when you're ready, stand up if you would, and once again, introduce yourself to someone that you have not had a chance to meet. And again, say your name, hello, my name is...
0: Yep. <laughs> How
1: many of you, when you came in, Or later last week, got a chance to read through the boards. We got, what's over here? I can't see it. What's it say over there? I was. was. This is? I am. And back there is? I will be. How many of you just took some time to read through those and you got to see it? What did you guys notice? Just some of the things that were written up there. Anything stand out to you? Maybe, maybe not. And you're going to have to yell really loud because I can't walk over and hear you tonight. Sorry. Yeah, isn't that odd? Sometimes you're the only one. Anything else? Stand out to anyone else?
0: Some people change their handwriting.
1: Wow, that's very astute. <laughs> we got a forensic scientist in the midst, able to or confessions. <laughs> Good point. I like that. I like that. What was it like What was it like last week writing those things down? Out of the 3, what was the hardest for you personally? I will be. I will be. How come? It Haven't even thought about it before.
0: I've been from the IM I was. Wow. I've been
1: Yeah, where you're even heading in this group, heading in this whole process.
0: Yeah, it will be. It's in the future. It's hard to plan for the future. Right? Well, because the future can always change.
1: Yeah, it can. And I won't go into that very much. because I thought that I was the hardest to do. Okay, how come? And if you're struggling to give yourself credit, it can be hard to write that down. Yeah. It's hard to admit some of that stuff, isn't it? Anyone else? So, uh,
0: I'll pick the other one. Okay. Excellent.
1: Let's just round this out to have a perfect trifecta.
0: Okay. No. Right now. Yeah. I, I have to say this is me. Yeah. And actually identifying myself and fully accepting this is the truth. You know, the other one, I was, I was a, d- a drug addict, you know, I like, just became a Christian. Like, the I was was easy for me. And the I will be yeah. I never happen. Yeah. So I am.
1: Uh, Stink.
0: You really, <laughs> am I really that? Am I, oh, am I, am I really that? Yeah. Like
1: Yeah. It's okay, depending on which one's hard for you. I mean, it just depends on kind of where you're at in this process. So there isn't really one right answer. Um, We do have to take an honest assessment of how we're at right now. I've spent the last two days doing that. Um, I hate asking for help. And my wife, before I left tonight... Almost is laughing at me because she's going, "Ha ha! You have to go talk about self-esteem and how you're doing doing with that over the last couple days." She's just rubbing it in my face. <laughs> I love my wife. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I am part. The I will be's though. And like Nikki said, it's it's in the future. We can't tell what's in the future. Do is it okay to? wrestle with the idea that we actually have some control over our future. Yeah. It isn't actually just something that happens to us 100%. Yes, there are things that we can't predict. There are tragedies, there are things, there are issues that we will have to endure that we can't control, but a majority of it we actually do get to choose. And so, anyone seen the movie, since we've been on a movie kick the last couple weeks, um, the movie, we ink Yeah. The The impossibles. (laughs) The untouchables. The yeah. Yeah. How are the incredibles? Good. Good. Almost twice. Almost twice. Excellent. Good. If we walk away with one thing out of this entire series, I've expanded your cinematic (laughs) repertoire. I'm okay with that. Uh, the movie Inkheart. Anyone seen the movie Inkheart? Oh, <gasps> you like that movie. Give me the premise, just so someone knows what it's about. The premise of the movie. The premise of
0: the movie.
1: Um, I don't know. i ain't going to it. No, 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 no. I'm hurt. I'm injured. You have to now. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, so
0: the movie is about a dad and his daughter, and the mom's gone. Because yep. Out of the books, but when they come out of the books, something from the real world has to go in. Correct.
1: And he didn't know he was one of these things, so as he was reading a story to his daughter, yeah. he had a character from the book named. I don't remember the name. Basta? Is that it? Basta? Basta? And his wife went into the book. Yes. And so now he had to figure out how to save his wife and all this stuff. and if I'll do I'll, spoiler alert here, so if you want to see it, close your ears. His daughter is also one of these people who can read out of a book, and, and it will come into reality. Inkheart. It's also an excellent book. It's an excellent book, by the way. <laughs> if you don't want to actually watch movies and do something called reading, who knew? Um, I'm told Harry Potter used to be a book series, too, but I don't know if that's true. Um, I love the concept of the story because, at the end of the movie, she is to, to to you know win the battle and everything. She's writing the story and reading it out loud and making it come to come to be. I love that. What a brilliant principle that is, isn't it? You can write the ending to your own story, for the most part. So, what do you want to write it? You want to be the hero? Do you want to be the tragic? You know. Um, person who, you know, doesn't make it in the end, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? It's a wonderful idea. Anyway, more movies. Tonight we're going to be talking about the value of confession. It's a strange topic in a self-esteem series, isn't it? But there is tremendous value in the idea of confessing. But to get us started, and to give me a break actually, um, we're going to watch a little snippet of a movie. We're going to watch, it's probably going to be almost 15 minutes long, but it's well, well worth it. Um, I know some of you will be excited to watch this. Let's see what happens here. Whoa, horsey.
0: far to go we time to get there
1: it's the your ears. we could just spend the rest of the time watching the movie huh yeah, really. see how it turns out
0: yeah should we get the popcorn <laughs>
1: yeah us? yeah we got a whole new theme for next summer huh we just watch movies all summer yeah. that'd be a good thing to do huh uh, that's that's a mess there. How about that? That looks better. What does that those scenes stir in you? Anyone want to put some words Hope. to that? Hope. Yeah. yeah. I think it's pretty good. What else? Purpose. Purpose. Sacrifice. Yeah. Profound. Meaning. Sacrifice. Meaning. Yeah. Edmund, what was he at the beginning of the story? Traitor. Not a very nice brother at all, was he? Not a very nice guy. Who did he become? Yes, he did. What else did he become? I heard someone say it. A king. king. One of four sits on the thrones at Caraparavel. From a traitor to a king. I would suggest that that's a fairly significant shift in how he viewed himself. Fair to say? And I would argue that we can understand how that happens because... Because he didn't actually make that transformation all on his own. If it was left up to him, where do you think it, the story would have gone? What would have happened to him? He would have died. And would that have been appropriate? One person is shaking their head yes. You think so? Yeah. Because why? According to the rules in Narnia... What happens to traders they die. they die yep, their blood is forfeit. first John, we're going to go through the entire chapter, and this is going to be a weird kind of well, I guess every session's weird in here with me, but um, <laughs> I haven't actually ever spent this much time in a series looking at Scripture, but we're going to take apart all ten ten verses of it because I think it is essential to understand the concept of confession and purification. If we want to change who we are from who we have been and who we are now to who we can be, there is a process of becoming purified, refined, changed, and that is something that is essential to this process. So what we're going to do, if I can make these buttons work. Hey, look at that. Oh, that's cool. Should change colors. Yeah, I guess it won't matter, huh? Here's, here's the first verse. I'm going to come over here out of the way. That which was from the beginning, which we have head. <laughs> I actually should just read heard. Apparently it's a typo. Uh, which we have seen without eyes. Did I mention I was not feeling good? <laughs> good googly moogly. Sorry about that, guys. We have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. What did we talk about at the very beginning of this series? How do we take in information into our bodies and build mind maps. How do we do that? Our five senses. So here they are. Here's John. They took in the experience through their five senses. What do they say? We've seen it with our eyes. We've looked at it. We have touched it. We've heard it with our ears. No, we had it. We headed it with our ears, yes. So the same model applies to this whole process. We have seen, heard, touched, experienced. We have walked through this whole thing. I'm gonna come over here, trying to get out of the way here a little bit. Oh, man, this sucks. I'm gonna come right back here if that's okay. Um, Hey, it works from back here. They're describing how they built their mind map. It is, it is a universal principle. It's just how we build uh, information in our lives. And it is based on an objective reality. It isn't just a simple assumption um, or a belief. They're not saying, this is what I believe, so you should believe. They're giving you evidence. They're saying, this is provable, and we have lots of other people who have seen, heard, and touched God incarnate. So... We proclaim concerning the word of life. Or this we proclaim concerning the word of life.
0: My Bible says he is the word of life.
1: Yes, there's different, different versions.
0: Yeah.
1: But, yeah. We have something important to tell you. Okay, so all we've heard this, we've seen this, we've experienced this, and we are going to proclaim this concerning the word of life. That life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. God showed up. I hate canes. Can't do nothing. I'm gonna just let it be there. Again, using our five senses, we have verified it and we're willing to testify to it. That means we will swear to it in court we will put our lives on, on the line to tell you that this is true. And what is true? God showed up. In Narnia, they hadn't seen Aslan for years and years and years. And when he came back, what started to happen? Everyone started to talk about it. It's like, it's here, it's here. All this, the prophecies are coming true. God showed up. In Hebrews 1, it says, In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. If you wanted to find out what God was saying, you had to go to a prophet. Here's here's what God is saying to you, okay? Listen to the prophets. A lot of times they actually didn't like the prophets. They didn't treat them very nicely because they didn't like what God said. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, What a radical, profound transition in their lives. No longer do they have to go to someone else to find out truth. God showed up here on earth. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. If we just stop and think about that for a second. These disciples, these guys who are writing these words here, This is John. He says, I had dinner. I walked with. I rode in boats with. I went fishing with. I walked along the road with. The very person who created everything. The entire universe. That should just blow your mind. It's Just profound. I don't have to go to anybody else. I walked with God in person. That might change your life. Earlier in the movie, we didn't get to see it after they rescue Edmund from the witch. There's a scene where Aslan and Edmund are standing afar off on kind of a up on a, a, a rocky ridge and Edmund is talking to Aslan. You can't hear what they're saying, but it's a very personal and a very direct face-to-face conversation. Edmund is having this experience right here. He is talking face to face with with the person who created all of Narnia. That changes you. It has to change you. It can't do anything but change you. Hebrews 1 is where that passage was found that is read out of. And we proclaim it to you the eternal life. Your eternal life is Christ. So here's what we're saying to you I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what we're proclaiming to you. Christ is here. God is here. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Again, here's here's where he was. He was with the Father, but now he has opted to show up and interact with us human beings. We had to worship him from afar, but now he's sitting with us having dinner. Profound. Profound blows my mind. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Just another reminder that they have proof in their five senses they are not making this up. Again, we have seen it. We have heard it. By the way, we're going to tell you again, this isn't just random stuff we're making up. We've seen it. We've heard it. We know it's true. We trust our senses so that you also may have fellowship with us. We don't want to keep this good news to ourselves. And we want to participate or engage with this good news. And it's not enough to know it cognitively. So that you also may have fellowship with us. God shows up. They interact with him. They are now saying we are making our identity in, in connection or association with, with God who's here on earth. This is who our identity is found in. We have fellowship with him. And this isn't a private club. This isn't saying because we've seen it, because we know all this, because you know we are his 12 disciples, we get to do all this. We want you to fellowship with us. We want you to participate in this. This is too good. Aslan's here. We want you to be part of this army. We want you to join this side. This is the good stuff. And that's what they're asking. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is who we associate or find our identity with, God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's a little bit different than what the world tells us right now. Where should we find our identity now, according to the world? In things? Stuff? Success? Ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. It is such a culture of whatever you feel like that that works for you, go for it. This flies in the face of that. Yeah. Our identity is how we look like on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. How we appear physically. What we can do. And yet these people are saying our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus Christ. Not a bad group to associate with, is it? We write this to make our joy complete. We really can't help telling you about it. It just makes us too happy. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So, everything up until this point in 1 John has been establishing our credibility so we can tell you something important. Here's the whole point of 1 John. 1 John 1. Here's what it's about. Okay. Do you believe us? Do you trust us? Do you understand that, that we have credibility in being able to tell you this? And here's what we want you to know. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's just a statement of fact. God is pure, completely and perfectly. This is Aslan at the end saying, again, if someone gives himself up for a traitor who who is not a traitor, who is pure, then death itself will be turned back. Why? According to Scripture, do you know the verse that talks about um, what are the wages of sin? What are the consequences of sin? Death. Death. That's just the natural consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. But if someone who has not sinned gives himself up willingly, then death has no claim on that person. Interesting idea, isn't it? Imagine that. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is pure, completely and perfectly. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to be like him, or have fellowship with him. If we're in Aslan's army, and he is pure, then we should live as if we are pure. That's just how it works. Those greasy, grimy critters who are up on the hill, I'm not so sure that they could make it in Aslan's army, saying, look at me, look at me, I'm on the good side, right? Because their actions determine if they're telling the truth or not, not their words. It isn't just the words we say, it isn't the, um, not verbatim, not dialect, um, not diatribe. There's a word there I'm trying to find. But it's not just what you say. It's actually how they behave, interact, what they look like, what they do. If we claim to have fellowship, then we will not walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, and here's the word, purifies us from all sin. This is the good stuff. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. What brings purification to us? According to that. The light. Specifically, what about the light? She is the light? And the blood of Jesus, his son, the sacrifice that he made. That right there is essential as we, as we start to get closer to 1 John 1.9, which is about confession, forgiveness, and purification. This is where it begins. This is the source of purity. We now know what purifies and removes the stain of sin from our lives was edmund stained by his treacherous and traitorous acts yeah. was there anything he could do to remove that well yeah there was what could he do die. die it's kind of a drastic you know one step kind of thing and then there's not a whole lot you do after that right so instead so instead if edmund could not make himself pure. He couldn't remove that stain. We'll even use this word, label. Okay? He was labeled a traitor. And there are many, many things that you and I have been labeled growing up in life, right? We could put a whole new thing of labels over there. I saw a video this week I was going to use, but the language in it got so graphic I didn't think I could show it. But the labels that they were saying and putting on these kids were absolutely accurate because everyone's heard them sometimes a lot growing up in school and families and things like that. We are labeled these ways just like Edmund was labeled a traitor. Yeah?
0: Would you mind telling us
1: the title of that? Video? video? Um, I would if I could but I can't because I can't remember it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, just think of all the really bad words that you can say to someone and it was in there oh, yeah. that pretty much covers yeah, it that, cool. <laughs> Christ's blood his substitutionary death for us is the source of purity that's just I, I, I have been wrestling again with this whole concept leading up to this how do we actually become pure How do we remove the stain of our fallibility? In our humanness, we are imperfect. Would that be fair to say? No one one here is perfect. We've all made mistakes. We have all failed. We We are all flawed. We have all sinned. Therefore, we are all stained just as Edmund was. And yet we are told we can be pure, purified. If we claim to be without sin, here's for people who still wrestle with that concept. And by the way, I know that that is offensive to some people. Some people in this world right now, being told you're a sinner is blatantly offensive. And as a counselor, even within my own journey in this whole process, I've had to wrestle with, is it okay for me to tell someone they're a sinner? And I've come to the conclusion, it's not me telling them. I'm simply going to reflect back what Scripture says. And Scripture clearly says that we are all sinners. So if someone's upset with me about this, feel free to come talk to me about it. I'm actually willing to dialogue and help you wrestle through some of this because I've wrestled a lot with it myself. But I'm going to keep coming back to, this is what I know. This is what Scripture says. And then you'll have to wrestle with you know, whether you believe Scripture or not. It's a whole other argument and a whole other conversation. If we claim to be without sin... There's a great thing. We deceive ourselves. Awesome. And the truth is not in us. Claiming to be without sin is like lying to yourself. Without being honest, there can be no real change. Like denying you have cancer, you won't seek treatment if you deny you have it. There are some people who get really bad news from the doctor. You've got this much time to live unless you make these radical changes in your life. And they say... I don't believe you. And I'm going to keep on doing. Again, another video I saw of a woman who has a um, a tracheotomy, the hole in her neck here. You see her smoking through it? She had throat cancer from smoking. She still smokes through that thing. We deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, confess is simply acknowledging. I am not perfect. Here's what I've done. I picture that scene of Edmund and Aslan standing up on that ridge. And I imagine it takes about half a second of Aslan looking you in the eyes and you start confessing. Because I don't think you can stand in front of him without. I just don't think it's possible. And So Edmund says, here's what I've done. And Here's everything else everyone else doesn't know. Here's, here's what he is. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, the three step process. We have to acknowledge the truth. We have sin and we are flawed. I'm sorry. That's the truth. What a great series on self esteem, huh? But he is faithful and he is just because this is his character and his nature. He isn't anything but. He is faithful and he is just. And he forgives us. He will not hold it against us ever. There's another scene in that movie after that conversation where Edmund and Aslan walk down from the ridge and, and, and they're connecting up with Peter, Lucy, and Susan. And Aslan just looks at them and says, what is has, what has done is done and there's no need to talk to him about it. He just doesn't... Bring it up anymore. He doesn't forget it, but he doesn't hold it against you. He does not see that as who you are now. He doesn't get stuck on that wall over there, seeing you as who you were. And he doesn't get stuck in seeing you who you are currently. He lives there. Here's who I know you to be. Here's who you're going to be. And he never loses sight of that. And then he purifies and perfection the purity and perfection will be attributed to us this is how it works this is what first john is all about it is not something edmund has done it's not something that i have done or you have done you can be pure and untainted and no longer contaminated by your sin the labels don't stick but what it requires, well, we'll look at what it requires. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Not only do we deceive ourselves, but we now ignore the sacrifice Christ has made for us. Can you imagine that? Aslan, thanks very much. Appreciate you going to the table. Appreciate you dying for us. But you know what? It wasn't really necessary. How offensive. How offensive. How offensive. And yet, I will suggest for those who still are wrestling with the concept of sin, that's what they end up doing. I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God. I'm going to do this on my own. And that's actually my theory of hell. God says, absolutely, I give you your wish. You can be alone and without me for eternity. <laughs> That's, that's simply what it is. And because he is the source of truth and light, you spend an eternity in darkness and pain. Purification. Questions about all of that. I just slammed through that. And, and I'm not a pastor. I'm a counselor. But I think the truths are inescapable. I think that they are unavoidable, and I don't have any other options for you, but I do think that is unbelievably good news. Edmund became a king, but not because of anything he had done. It was all because of what Aslan did for him. Thoughts or questions are counterpoints or arguments or, you know. Yes. Do you believe
0: in the necessity of sin for us to become aware of our... It. But it's like through sin are we
1: delivered. Through are sin we are we delivered. We delivered. me a little bit more. Um, you're, using, you're using it in a context that I'm not familiar with. Delivered through sin.
0: Well, is it necessary?
1: Sin is not the natural state of this world. Sin is an extra thing that was introduced into this world when Adam and Eve, Adam made a very poor choice. Ended up in him being alone and isolated. So sin by nature isn't actually supposed to be here. So do I think it is necessary? No. I think it is I think it is present and I think it's unavoidable. So it's like, you know, saying is breathing necessary? Um Well, that actually doesn't work, does it? Um, Can't come up with an example real fast, but I think sin is what is present, and Christ has given us a way to no longer be held captive by it. We still wrestle with it, and again, this is much longer conversations about sin nature and the flesh versus, you know, Principalities and darknesses, uh, all those kinds of things. But sin, sin, is something we have to wrestle with in our self-concept. And since we're talking about self-esteem, we have to reconcile it. We have to deal with it in some way. For us to have healthy self-esteem, here's what it comes down to: for us to have healthy self-esteem, we have to recognize that we are imperfect. That's just how it works but that imperfection does not label us permanently. It doesn't. For some, it, w- it, it feels like it's permanent because you still wrestle with accepting these concepts or truths or how to get your head wrapped around some of that. And again, it's a, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a, it's a battle. It's a, it's a growth area. But we do not have to continue to see ourselves according to how we've been labeled. There is an invitation there. He says, my blood, I have died for you. All you need to do is accept it. And by the way, I hate that. I hate the idea, just like talking about how I need help because my back is all messed up right now, and I hate asking my wife for help over the last four days, and I keep apologizing to her, And she keeps saying, stop saying you're sorry. And again, my story, my stuff, I got to keep doing it because I have to keep proving somehow that I am worthwhile and valuable and all these things. And I don't feel that. I despise the idea that I can't do something on my own. I am a healthy Western society male. We like to do things on our own. We don't like asking for help. And yet... That is the nature of the gospel. That is grace. You cannot do this on your own, so stop stop trying. You don't have to. You have to humble yourself. You have to lower yourself. Because we can't become pure on our own, Because we are the sinful one, we can't be the source of purity. Again, Edmund couldn't get himself out of it. We have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to admit that we can't do it within ourselves and that we have to let someone else help us. That is how purification works. When you move into those places right there, And now you accept the purification that has already been given to you. You can actually feel cleansed. I know someone. I know someone whose story is horrific. And I worked with her as a client for several years And we really couldn't get a lot of traction in how she viewed herself and the things she wrestled with. And she had an opportunity to go sit with someone who addressed these issues with her. And I am glad to say that she came back utterly transformed she no longer had nightmares. She no longer had bodily reactions to, her, to the story and the triggers that would happen. It is as close to as a miracle as I have ever seen or experienced in my own personal life. And two, three years later, after stopping work with me, those changes are still taking place in her life. Her old self has not come back. She lives in this purification. She's no longer labeled or sees herself as she was. And it isn't because of anything she's done. It's because she understood what somebody else had done. And it's an honor. I'm actually truly glad to say wasn't anything I did as a counselor. I think some of the stuff I did probably helped, but <laughs> didn't produce the radical transformation. I don't think I'm that good. I don't think I can do that. I don't think any counselor can do that. Even though I think there's a lot of really good counselors. By the way, I don't think a lot of pastors can do that either. Sorry. Because they're human beings, because they're just people. And they convey information, they do not convey relationship. You get to choose that relationship. If we confess our sins, we accept that we are flawed. He is faithful and just because that is his nature. He will not hold it against us, and he will give us his purification into our lives. What a great way to change our self-esteem. I can't think of any way better. So say we all. Questions, thoughts? So say we all. Oh, I see. It um, means amen. It means I agree. Comes from a TV show. Sorry. (laughs) I can't tell you. Anyone know besides you? Thank you. (laughs) There you go. Little weakness of mine. (laughs) Profound series if you want to watch a really good show. Questions, thoughts? It's a weird night all around. I'm stuck in a chair, not moving around. I feel like I just preached. But I do think I gave you truth. And I will stand yeah. by it gladly. And I would like to actually end on this note. This is the best way I know to change your self-esteem. And again, if you, if you wrestle with this, you wanna, if you want to chew on this, you want to disagree. I'm absolutely open to that. That's what this is about. Ben will be glad to hear why you disagree and he will be glad to, you know, have any sort of conversation with you. And I hope these conversations go on and on past kind of this series. Yes.
0: So I, I think most of us agree with that and you know, have for quite a while. Yep. Is it working? I
1: mean, Is it working? Great question.
0: What do you think why isn't it working?
1: Yeah. That's a fantastic question. Um, just because you know something does not mean that it is applied in your life or that um, you you truly let it soak into the way to the depth of the level that it should. What, what is it that usually makes those transformations? Here's the question, going back to last week. What is it that usually produces significant transformation in people's lives? Struggle, yes. And that broadly is called experience. Actually going through stuff is what I would argue cements some of this into place. It's the person who... who um, has the heart attack, has that experience, that near-death experience kind of thing, and now reexamines his entire life, what he's doing, why he's doing it, what's important to him. And that experience now makes him open and receptive to truths like this. Even if it's not a truth like this, and even though that happens a lot of time, people have a spiritual experience on a near-death experience, but they'll also just wake up to other things that are more important that are spiritual in nature. Um, the value of relationships with their family, reconciling between between family members that are broken down. It's those experiences that tend to produce the change in our lives. The problem is we hate experiences. We try to be comfortable most of our life. We try to say, "I don't want to do something that's uncomfortable or painful or hard." But according to last week, what do we have to do to change? <laughs> struggle we have to go through the painful things we have to fight we have to get bloodied we have to get hurt that is what every good movie that's what it's about we looked at some of them right and so but we avoid those spots we try to stay as comfortable and safe and secure so we go back to earlier in the lessons we talk about the idea of um experimenting Right? Remember the idea of experimenting, of having an open mind, of being curious about things rather than judgmental? I think those are the practical hands-on kinds of tools that you can apply, but this is the truth that is sinking in. This is what you are um, getting closer to. If you believe that God died for me and I am a new person, if I actually believe that and I become curious about that, then that might start to, and I keep that in mind, have that in the forefront of my mind rather than comfort and stuff. If I believe that this is who I am, then the next time someone cuts me off on the road, I might go, well, it's the experiment from, when was it originally done? 18, late 1800s, early 1900s? The um, What Would Jesus Do experiment? Uh, everyone thinks that was a new thing, right? The old bracelets. Remember that? WWJD? Yeah. Everyone thinks that's a new thing? It's actually done turn of the century, I think. It was a book written. Um, In and,
0: steps.
1: huh? In his steps. Um, is that where it was originally from? I thought it was something earlier, but it might be. I can't remember. But that whole concept of if we are Christ-like, then we use him as the model, and we ask that question every time we have an interaction, we have a decision to make. What would Jesus do? And it's a practical way to start applying it. But we don't ask that. I think we ask, usually, what do I do to keep comfortable? What do I do to save face? What do I do to look good? What do I do to just not be in pain? What do I do to keep my whole self-concept the way it is because I'm afraid of new stuff? So the application piece, that's, that's what I struggle with. That's the, that's the piece that I, again, the caveat I made at the very beginning of this series, I think it is choice. I think it is emotional and feeling stuff. I think there are tools we can implement. I think there are people who are better at it than, than other people. Richard Branson, he's willing to try stuff, crazy stuff. And he has massive failures and unbelievable wins. I'm watching a series where... Um, I am an OPB addict. I just love OPB, NPR, all that kind of stuff. There's a Nova that was on about an undiscovered Leonardo da Vinci painting. Anyone see that one? I'm watching it on Netflix right now. Don't tell me how it ends. I'm only halfway through. I'm going to call home and finish it tonight. But one of the things they're saying about Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most uh, influential people of the Renaissance, is he tried stuff and failed all the time. His picture of the Last Supper... Was a was a um, technique, uh, a new painting technique. Instead of painting on wet plaster and keeping the colors and the and the picture um, vibrant and lasting for you know decades and decades, he painted it on dry plaster and started to flake off after about ten years. That's why if you look at the original painting of of the Last Supper, it's ugly. It just doesn't look good because it's all flaking off and. All the experts are saying he tried stuff over and over and radical new things that just bombed. But look at all the good stuff. You buy, if you can find one of his notebooks, by the way, original notebooks, you know, $10 million. Might have it at Powell's. Go see if they got it in Powell's somewhere. Being willing to try and fail and just totally bomb out that's the thing that I think keeps us from applying some of this radical stuff like this. Good question, though. And it's a struggle I wrestle with.
0: So we go back into the reptilian brain. I mean, it seems to me like when I've changed, uh, really changed, it almost was like a life or death thing, you know? It was just intense,
1: you know? Yep, I agree. I am on day 20, day 20 of 21 of my no sugar thing that I started to do in this series because of this series. I'm blaming that on my back, actually. That's why, okay? Healing crisis, whatever you want to call it. Um, but what I have found out is, guess what I'm going to do on day 22? <laughs> Chocolate milkshake, something like that. I'm, I'm still jonesing for a really nice... I haven't been transformed yet. That's the nature of it. I have, I have white-knuckled. I have told myself, this is good for me. I know it's good for me. I cognitively know this, and yet my desires have not been transformed yet. I hate to admit that. But
0: it's true.
1: I might not get a chocolate milkshake. I might just do a piece of chocolate. Fruit juice. I'm looking forward to just some juice. I haven't done any fruit in the last 21 days. I'm about dead here, okay? I am just, I'm so. So three weeks was your goal to
0: start?
1: 21 days, yep. Three weeks was my goal. Tomorrow's the last day of it. So
0: be on your back.
1: <laughs> Sucking down sugar. Yeah. <laughs> IV, whatever I can get. Right. Um, but again, I actually did this because sugar is, is sugar. But I know that there are people in here, people out there, who are trying to change much more important things in their life and they still struggle with it. And they haven't been transformed by this new system yet, right? It's a struggle. This is the struggle we are in. So applying all these things that I've put into here has helped me get through this. But I'm still, I'm still looking to be transformed. And I think it's going to take more than just once to do this sugar thing to be different. I think I'm going to have to do it multiple times. I'm going to have to, you know? Do you, do you think that you have an issue with sugar? Do I have an issue with sugar?
0: Do you think you have an
1: issue? Um, I don't think I have an issue with sugar. I know I have an issue with sugar.
0: <laughs> so so that, that question earlier where she asked if sin was necessary, I was thinking more along the lines of is of, like the acknowledgement of the sin or the acceptance of the sin is necessary. Yes. So for you to realize or to accept that you have a problem with sugar, nothing will happen until that this Let's is continue with sugar and nothing will change
1: this is why i think you start most 12 step groups with what what do people do when they first stand up and, and introduce themselves <laughs> hi my name is paul and i am a sugaraholic yeah. <laughs> i don't think they're doing it just to fit in with the crowd i think they're doing it because it's an intentional step that says i have to admit that this is this is part of how I have found my identity this is what I wrestle with and I am no longer going to deny that I, I sit with that's clients part of that's part of becoming humble again we could watch all the clips I have from West Wing and Leo McGarry who was an alcoholic it's just he describes he describes a drink and the sound of the ice cube hitting the glass inside. And you have to drop it from just the right height so you don't chip the ice enough, and it melts too fast. I mean, he has has worshipped this process. And he now says, I have to deny myself this because it has control over my life. It's an elegant, elegant, I could pull it up and show you, but (sighs) yeah, we have to admit that we are flawed and broken. So I don't know if that's what you meant by it, I don't think sin is necessary. I think the acknowledgement of sin is essential. Yes, absolutely. Undeniably. We have to confess our sins. Yes. think there's the potential of letting that Im- become the embodiment of who you are. I think that is a possibility. I don't think that is a foregone conclusion. I think there are people who can acknowledge I am a sinner, but they don't take on the identity of that. Now that maybe something to consider. And again, that might be something you wrestle with and lots of other people wrestle with as well but does that mean that you have to stay in that condition or you have to stay wrestling with that with that identification? Yeah?
0: Well, the kind of idea that like, as I was saying, um, in the darkness, that that means more than just sinning. That means that's two problems. It also means dwelling on your own idea of being a
1: sinner. Yep.
0: And that you can't become anything less. Or yep. I mean anything more than that. So yep. That Yeah. And we're, we're basically saying, Jesus, I'm going to take on your side. I'm not going to view myself how I used to view myself. I'm going to view myself through your eyes. Yeah. And that's walking in the light.
1: In one of the other um, Chronicle of Narnia series books, I can't remember which one. I think it was Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. Tell me if I'm wrong, those Narnian experts in the room. I think it's after um, Eustace is a dragon. And, and he's just a really rotten guy, Edmund turns to him and says, you were just a dragon. I was a traitor. So he, he acknowledges this is, he still understands that that is what he was capable of doing, that that is what he was. So he still has that identity, but that's not how he sees himself, but he can't deny that that is part of his story. Does that make sense? And because he was a, because he was a traitor, he can now empathize and act compassionately towards those who have egregious mistakes as well.
0: I just think also you forget like where you came from, you minimize like you minimize the power of what's happened because if you start to like internalize the progress that you've made and believe like that's all you've ever been, then it almost then you look back on it and you don't see that it was different before. So you almost have to like accept your identity and, and almost embrace it so that then when you do move forward, like you can see that there was a milestone where there was this negative thing and that wasn't how it was supposed to be, but you come away from that. So it's like, just don't forget where it came from
1: Yeah. I think it's actually truly refreshing when you see someone let's take it out of the sin context and just someone who is who's is really good at their good at what they're doing but they also understand that they're not as good as they could be and so they have this humility this 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 true humility is is elegant and contagious you want to be around it because they might be fantastic but they don't gain their sense of identity off of their goodness they recognize that they are just as capable at, as making mistakes as well as exceeding. They have this beautifully balanced, elegant, um, holistic view of themselves. It's refreshing. It is truly refreshing. You had a question.
0: Uh, yeah, how much do you think uh, our amount of faith that God's going to heal us and change us actually determines how much we'll heal and change?
1: The question was, how much... Do we? Do I think our amount of faith plays into uh, when it comes to healing and change? Comes into um, the actual healing and changing that we experience. Again, I'm going to turn back to scripture on this one. Um, I'll answer it in two parts. Um, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. That's just what Scripture says, right? Small, small amount of faith. Um, I, also, <laughs> I also actually believe that, because again, there's just been tons of evidence to prove it, when you can conceive of yourself as an actually different person. When you take that, I will be, and you can actually start to see it, and feel it, and taste it, and know it, and experience it, not just cognitively, <laughs> but you actually start to, to believe it. You actually start to feel it. And it's not, it's not a blind, irrational faith in that. It's not delusional. It's, it's based in reality, but you also can conceive of yourself being different. Those are the people who actually end up getting unbelievably close to their goal. And there are others who go, I want to be that. I, always, I talk to my clients, there's always three levels. I want to be different, I need to be different, and I believe I can be different. So many of my clients come in and say, I want to be different and I need to be different. So it's like, all right, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be this. Do you think you can be that? No, not really. Changing this belief level Belief level changes on an experiential level. That's what typically changes belief level stuff. And so you have to have this openness. That's why that's part of this opening experience that we have in this whole, every week. Can you actually be open to seeing yourself as something different? Because so often we get cemented into the, this is how I am, am, or this is how I was. That's, in my opinion, truly understanding or conceiving and believing that that stuff, that's, that's the harder stuff. But for people who can do that, holy cow, it's amazing how, how their world starts to change. I'm sorry? What was the third one here? Third Oh, I want to change, I need to change, I believe I can change. I want something, I need something. Yeah? It also makes me think of the case of Paul. Paul. Nope. Jesus
0: just came. To yep. You. So I think that that shows the power to that. Sometimes if we want faith, but for whatever reason, we don't have it, we literally, like you said, have an experience where we just get it. Yeah. Where literally it gives us humility because we realize we did nothing to gain that faith. Literally God yeah. gave it to us.
1: Yep. And those transformative experiences, they can be life and death things. They can be... Blinding lights in the middle of the night, things. They can also be as subtle. You know what has probably been the most transformative thing in my life personally? Becoming a father. When you become a dad, lots of things change. When you become a parent, lots of things change. When you become a husband, believe me, lots of things changed. A lot of things change. And those transformative experiences say, I have to become different. I get to be different. What do I want to become? Yeah. When you talked about the, woman, the transformative Yes. Um, can you tell us any more about like, what helped with that or process it? Just... Yeah. Um, she had a chance to sit with someone who um, is top of their game at helping... Again, she approached the change from a spiritual perspective, not a therapeutic or a psychological perspective, even though, again, we can balance both of those things out. I think you can do both well. Um, but she had explored all this stuff psychologically, and so now she had to actually change who she viewed herself spiritually, and this woman is just gifted in, the woman she went to see is just gifted in being able to, again, not just present truth, in a cognitive way, but actually walked her through it in in a relational, experiential sort of way to where the truth of Christ sinks in. It's it's good stuff. So I wish I could tell you more about it, but I I don't even have all the details. She hasn't shared all the details with me. So have a nice evening, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.